In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I start the show, again, the book of the week for this week is Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Um, So the book deals a lot with vulnerability, a topic that comes up a lot in this show. And uh, Brené Brown has done some talks, uh, some TED Talks that are also very popular, so you can check those out. But I hope you'll join me in reading the book and discussing it on Monday's show next week. Today is October 11th, and it is National Coming Out Day uh, here in the United States. I think this is the 29th or 30th year that it is National Coming Out Day, and uh, most people might be familiar with that term of quote-unquote coming out or coming out of the closet, but it means to share with people that you are, in fact, basically not heterosexual is really what it is, but gay or lesbian, transgender, um, but basically sharing that you are not heterosexual. And actually, I was looking up the history of the term, and it seems that apparently first it was actually coming out to other people who were gay, That's actually where the term came from. But nonetheless, we use that term now, and today is National Coming Out Day. And the the process of coming out or sharing with people, friends, family, loved ones, or publicly that you are not straight uh, can be a very personal one or is a very personal one. It can be a difficult one for people to know if they can, when they can, takes a lot of courage. Um, And so it's an important topic to talk about. And the fact that coming out is a thing, of course, shows us that we still have so much progress to make when it comes to equal rights and reducing or removing the discrimination against the LGBTQ community. Because the fact that it's something that involves courage or can have backlash, and it still does for many people, shows us we still have a problem. It kind of um, reminds me of when we have like a woman's rights day or uh, other types of days like that. They are very good, but I also wish for a day where we won't need them or they won't exist anymore. And I think that day is possible and will actually come hopefully sooner than later. We're definitely not there yet, but I think definitely there will be a day or a time when this idea of coming out will no longer be an issue because it won't be a big deal. We won't really... Uh, have to worry about anything for people who are members of the LGBTQ community, just be part of who they are. They won't have to hide it uh, or be afraid to share it with people. And I I long for that day and I'm hopeful for that day and I want us to continue moving in that 
direction of moving uh, towards that, where there won't be a need for people to come out in some dramatic way or won't be a big deal because it just won't be a big deal. But we're definitely not there yet, um, as evidenced by many things, including the discrimination that this community is still under, the fact that when we look at LGBTQ um, youth, there's a higher proportion of them that are homeless uh, because they are oftentimes disowned by their family um, and face various forms of discrimination. So it's still definitely an issue even here in the United States and in some places far worse uh, conditions are being held. So that's important for us to keep in mind. Now, it's interesting, I was looking at things regarding coming National Coming Out Day, and it said you can also come out as an ally, which I think was interesting. And so definitely for me, I would come out as an ally. I think I've talked about it many times, but wouldn't mind saying it again, that I'm definitely an ally to the LGBTQ community. And I hope others of you feel the same way and think the same way about um, that community. And even when I say that community, it does create this us versus them that I don't like. Because to me, when we think of, when I think of gay rights or LGBTQ rights, just like when I think of women's rights, even though I'm not a woman, to me, I don't look at them as a really us versus them. It's more just an idea of human rights. It doesn't have to do with, well, do I want to support them or not? Or how do I want to think about them? Is it a, they're humans and this is part of who they are. And I want to support them because I support all humans rights, all human rights, just like supporting women's rights helps me in the long run too, and helps all of society. Similarly, as we are more accepting and loving and tolerant to the LGBTQ community, we all benefit from that because first and foremost, all of us know someone, whether you actually know it or not, because again, still people conceal their sexual identity at times, who is a member of this community. So it is us. It is part of our, it's either ourselves or someone you know or love or are close to. And when we hurt any member of society, we hurt everyone. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So for me, the idea of things like marriage equality or um, rights or these bathroom issues that have been coming up, it's not about do I support this group or that group? It's about human rights. And I think everyone should be afforded the same basic human rights, and we should all be striving towards that. Um, now, some things people say about the LGBTQ community is, for example, it's not natural. That's an argument you hear against them. It's like, well, it's not a natural thing. And this word natural is a uh, very loaded term because really you have to try to define or tell me what you mean by natural and what that means. But if, for example, you think not happening in the animal kingdom well that's not true there is homosexuality in the animal kingdom so it's in that way not unnatural or doesn't exist and from what we're seeing and understanding very much it's something that people are born a particular way very often they are attracted for example to members of their own sex or attracted to members of both sexes but it's not something for example that's a quote-unquote choice as sometimes is said or an in, a mental illness, um, which unfortunately was the case in the psychological community, still has a black mark for how long it considered homosexuality an illness. Um, but it is something that people are just born that way. So how can we hate someone for being born a particular way? How can we hate them for something that was not in their control in how they were born? And oftentimes, hate against this community 
um, even like something like homophobia has to do with our own issues related to our sexuality or even uncertainty we might have. If someone tells me they hate any particular group, it never makes me think less of the group. If anything, it might make me think less of them or question things about them. So if you tell me you hate gay people, um, I don't think worse of gay people. I think, okay, well, what's going on with you? And how are you not in touch with yourself? And what do you even hate about yourself? Uh, they've done research showing that people who have strong uh, homophobic views or very hateful things to say about gay people, men that were then showed pornography that was gay pornography, got more aroused by those videos or images showing that there is something they're dealing with within themselves. So anyone who hates any group too strongly, we really need to question what's going on there, what's going on for them. But to hate a group of people, we need to think about what's going on with us, whether it's a racial group, a religious group, or uh, members of a particular sexual identity or orientation, we have to really think about what's going on for us. So when you find yourself hating a group, think about what's going on for me. Why am I feeling this way about them? And we also need to be aware of the heterosexual norms or biases that we all have that are so much a part of society. Again, the assumption is the default is you are heterosexual, so you have to come out as gay or lesbian or say that you're something other than that. And that itself is an issue, and I think that will change over time as we start to see that, okay, people, yes, maybe still the majority of people might be a certain way, and maybe even that, I think, will change as people become more in touch and it's more acceptable for people to express themselves. But nonetheless, let's even just say it's still the majority, but we don't necessarily know, just like if you live in the United States, you don't just go up to everyone and saying they're Christian until they tell you otherwise. You, you don't know their religious belief or even if they believe in religion until they tell you. But we do that when it comes to heterosexuality, feeling that, okay, it's the right way to be or it's the better way to be, unfortunately, and that bias still very strongly exists. So we want to start to move away from that and give people the space to be who they are and not judge them for who they are being, but also these biases, we must become aware of them before we can challenge them. Until we realize what's going on, we can't challenge that. And I know maybe many of you listening might not share my views. Um, I know there's a range of people that listen to this program, including many Iranians, who maybe are still more traditional in how they view things like uh, gays and lesbians and um, how we should treat them or what they think of them. But I urge you to reconsider what you think if it is negative about people who are um, just like you and me, and maybe you don't even realize it is you and me, but people who are born a particular way and they need our love and our support. Imagine the child who starts to realize they are different from, let's say, the boys around them and they actually like other boys and they get bullied or teased or... They have a fear of telling their parents because they know how their parents feel about gays and lesbians and they don't know how they're going to react. And imagine him then mustering up the courage to finally tell them who he really is. And they kick him out of the house or they tell him they are not his son anymore or they don't want to see him anymore. Imagine what that person goes through just being themselves. They, they, they have no control over who they are. And as I always say, as a parent's job, you're, you're not supposed to make your kids be a particular way. You're supposed to allow them to feel good and safe to express who they truly are, 
whatever that may be. Um, and to love and accept our loved ones is really all that we can do or the most important thing we can do. And I work with families sometimes or I hear stories where people say, oh, no, we accept that our son is gay, but he's not allowed to bring any boyfriends to the house. Well, that's not truly accepting who he is. You're still rejecting a big part of who he actually is at the core. And I hope people can recognize that too. So today is National Coming Out Day. And um, if you want to talk about issues related to the LGBTQ community, please feel free to call in about that. But of course, the phone lines are open to talk about any topic you might have in mind or any questions you might have in mind. But I hope we can keep the conversations going and also keep the progress going towards equal rights and less discrimination for members of this group. And I, on National Coming Out Day, am coming out as an ally for the LGBTQ community. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, Dr. Tolakwi, am I? Yes, we're on the air. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much. My pleasure. First of all, I wanted to tell you that I really honor talking to you. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to talk uh, to you, too. I'm a fan of your, your father as your you, too. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm talking uh, very slow because I can't hear myself. Oh, okay. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah. The, uh, so this is make it very difficult for me to talk. You ha- do you have the radio on? No, no. Oh, okay. I'm not I'm, sure. I'm talking going. from my hand phone. Okay. I'm not sure why that's okay. Uh, go ahead. About the topic that you you uh, bringing up today. Yes. I just want to let you know that you know I have two issues. Okay. Uh, with lesbians and the gays. Okay. Uh, first of all, I really, uh, I don't have anything against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I just, uh, my, my, one of my neighbors is also, is a gay, and I say, hello, how are you, things like that. I'm not very uh, friendly, I mean, or not, not should I say that, uh, not very close to them. Mm-hmm. And not even sh- ignore them. Okay. Okay. So first of all, I wanted to to, to know that why they call they want to say uh, they want to marry. What? So, what? Uh, You're saying why they, do they want to get married? To me, yes, I mean uh, they fighting for 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 married. They can to me they can have all the. Uh, sorry. Uh, the, Dr. Holakri, it's very difficult for me to talk. I can hear myself. I hope you uh, not uh, you're, you're okay. I can, your sound is coming clear from our end, so I'm, I hope you can kind of push okay. through it if you can. So keep going. Okay, I'm, okay, I, I, I try my, my yeah my best. Okay. Uh, first of all, the, the, I think you know they can they should have all the privilege of uh, pe- regular people as a married. 
but they can call it something else. Okay. For I'd example, they can call it union. Sure, Your but English is much better than myself. Sure, but let's say let else. me let me ask you a question. If they if a law came out that said Iranians can't get married, but they have they can do something called a union, but they're not allowed to get married. What what would you say to that? When, first of all, I wanted to know that what they fighting for. Because they, they want to have all the for, for equal, like for equal, for example, because these things have, you know, let me tell you something, actually, this is important you're bringing this up, because these things have, it's not just about marriage and the title, although to me that is still significant, but even they did research that showed that in states where they made same-sex marriage legal, where they legalized it and made it okay, they saw a decrease in the suicide attempts and completed suicides of LGBT youth. Meaning that when we as a society tell a group you are somehow not accepted, that has an effect. Even if it's in a subtle way, we might think it's subtle, which it's not subtle, that you can't get married. And the opposite is also true when we tell a group and we remind ourselves, but also show them that they are equal to everyone and you have equal rights and you are not rejected by society in some way, that has an impact of making them feel more okay about who they are. So we saw a reduction in suicide in those states in LGBTQ youth because of legalizing marriage, or the study, it seems to suggest that the stats are moving in that direction, which to me is very significant. So to me, that's very, very important. And to me, it's always about human rights. Again, if they said some group that they has nothing to do with it. me. Yes. They, no, they should have it. They are equal to the, to the all other people. I'm agree with that. It's only the, the, the word married that I have problem with. You know, I can say that if they wanted to, for example, have a tax write-off or recognition, they should have it, but just use another another term but ask yourself why why and i've heard you're not the you're not the only person to say that so uh, i'm glad you're bringing this point up because a lot of people feel that way but uh, you know tell me at least or try to ask even yourself why is that word marriage why does that bother you i think you know marriage is for the different opposite sex Okay, so are you okay if like an an eighty year old man is marrying a nineteen year old girl? To you, that's still marriage. You're okay with that? No, it's up to the uh, to the to the girl. If no, she she's a consenting to get married, but you can call that marriage. Well, that's that's not right. No, that's not right. Okay, so do you want to pass a law saying that if there's a certain age gap, we don't call it marriage; we call it something else? No, we shouldn't allow it at all. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to understand the, the, the doctor, marriage term. Doctor, yeah. Doctor uh, Farid, uh, another, another thing that we wanted to bring it up, sure. I said two issues. Yes. Uh, uh, and after that, I'm going to listen to you on online. Okay. Uh, the, another issue that I have, this is the, this, the, the Pride Day itself. Mm-hmm. The way that they come out, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know, they, can they come in out? with a regular dress, like one person is coming at the long um, thing in front of them, you know what I'm mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about, and then another person sitting, and then the, the way that they uh, performing. Uh-huh. It's, 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 it's not right. Okay. The way that they dress that day is, is not right. They can come out. With, with regular dress, and I, I probably go there and, and join them too. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay. If you don't mind, Dr. Hulakoy, sure. I'm going to listen to you on, on, on the No, no problem. Uh, thank you for your call and your questions. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. See you. Okay. And I really do appreciate him um, calling with those questions because, as I mentioned, these are things we hear a lot about uh, the LGBTQ community, this idea. One, about marriage. Um, can we call it... First of all, maybe they shouldn't, but or even if they do, we call it something else um, because somehow it's reserved for a man or a woman and woman only. Another argument somebody's here is because a marriage has to produce kids, but then, so if I told you a woman is infertile, can they, should people not be allowed to get married if someone is infertile or if the male is infertile because they would not be able to produce a child? Um, or is it really something else? And so this idea we should call it something else to me is a form of discriminating against them. We might think, as he, our, our caller was saying, that well, what's the difference? But it is creating a difference. That's the problem. We're creating a difference and a big issue that the LGBTQ community faces is feeling that they're different and not just different as in not the same, but different as in somehow worse, inferior, not as good. And when you tell them you can't do something, that is the problem that we have. You know, so like I said, if they made a law saying Iranians could only have civil unions, but they can't use the word marriage, that would be a huge issue. Or if they said any group can't do anything, I would be against it. If they said, for example, um, Chinese people cannot, I, I don't even know what, uh, let's say drink alcohol. Even though I'm not really, I don't drink alcohol myself and I'm not someone who thinks drinking alcohol is good, but I would fight that law because it would be a discriminatory law that would be promoting some kind of a difference and making it systematic that is an issue. So it's not that I think drinking is good and I want people to drink, but I'm concerned about moving in that direction. So when we have laws that make certain citizens less than in some way, that's a concern to me. That's a human rights issue, not just a um, idea of preference or we're just talking about marriage or one word. It's about the systematic sense of saying you're somehow less than. And as I said, that study to me was very interesting looking at the statistics following suicide attempts by the LGBTQ community and seeing that there was a reduction in the states after same-sex marriage was legalized. It shows the effect these laws have. Laws have a big impact in showing how we feel about people. And when we tell a group you're not equal, that has a big impact. And then when we finally tell them, yes, you're equal and you're accepted, that also has a huge impact. And so we can't ignore that. Now, the other thing um, he mentioned was Pride Day. Um, and if we even look at the reason why there is something like a Pride Day, it's because the LGBTQ community had for so long to be ashamed of themselves. And worse being ashamed, they were... Um, discriminated against, even beaten and killed uh, because of being different in that way. So they had to actually be afraid of showing who they were. This is why we even have a national coming out day because it's such a big deal to actually take that step, an oftentimes unfortunately risky one that can have huge negative consequences for the person who is coming out. So the reason why it's even a big deal is that because people had to have the opposite of pride. They had to hide it. They had to be afraid. They had to fear family members knowing, people knowing, employ employers knowing, whoever else figuring out their religious group finding out. And they had to hide it. 
And it's a response, or even in maybe in some ways, even a reaction towards that of being more of having pride of having to show it off, almost putting it in your face as maybe it feels to someone who's getting uncomfortable by it. Why do they have to put it in my face? Well, it's because they had to hide it so long and be told that it was negative and bad and still they get that feeling. So it's not like we've reached some level of perfect equality where they have nothing to worry about. The LGBTQ community still is under a lot of discrimination and particularly the transgender community is still uh, very, very poorly mistreated and bullying in schools is much higher for these individuals and even throughout life, they're still dealing with so much. So we're not there yet. I actually think that when we actually reach more and more equality and things become more okay, that this idea of pride also will become less significant. I think everyone should have pride in who they are, a genuine pride, being proud of who you are as a person, of your background, of your identity. We should be proud of that in a very, um, a very healthy way. But I think that sometimes when we hold a group back and they finally get to express themselves, of course, maybe it even comes out in forms that can feel exaggerated or feel extreme to us uh, because they've had to hide who they were for so long. So maybe you don't like the way they dress or they they express themselves and maybe you don't think it's right. Also, for some people, they might not like the way they express themselves because, as I said before, it can stir up some feelings in them that make them feel uncomfortable. People can very often have a reaction formation because they might have some feelings about homosexuality themselves that they're thinking about. And so when they see it, they don't like it or they don't feel good about uh, that. And so that can happen as well. But to me, actually, when we look at pride, if we allow everyone to be proud of who they are and we are proud of who they are and show them that we fully love and accept them as they are, whatever group or whoever the individual is, there will be less of a need for them to have to then show it in that way that maybe makes, makes people feel uncomfortable, but also however someone wants to express themselves, we have to do our best to accept that and allow them to be who they want to be. If they want to dance and do whatever, that's fine. You don't have to necessarily go and watch and see it if you don't like it, but they should be free to express themselves as they wish, however they would like to do so. Um, so I appreciate uh, our, the gentleman who called in to brought, who brought up these issues because I know for many people they are still struggling with the idea of accepting the LGBT community or they want to accept them with a few buts, maybe like, okay, yes, but not this and not that. For example, no marriage equality or call it something else and no this and no that. But really when we talk about acceptance, it's about fully accepting. And it goes back to what I was saying about if you have a loved one who is from the LGBTQ community, if you accept them, that means you also accept their relationships, that you don't hide that or tell them they can't hide that. Because when we give them that message, that's saying to them, I don't accept all of you. And I've even worked with families or seen families where they have, let's say, two sons. One is gay and one is straight. And the one who's straight can bring their girlfriends or if they get married, their wife to the home. But the one who's gay knows that that's not okay for them. It's either explicitly or implicitly been shown to them that they can date and we fully accept you, but we don't want to know about that. And we definitely don't want to see it, especially because maybe it'll make us look a certain way. If, if people see that our son has a boyfriend, let's say, and that's not full acceptance. That's not fully loving the person. If we fully love them, we say, accept you. And I accept that part of you completely. And I want to know your partner because I care about you just like I'd want to know about my 
kid's partner if he or she was straight. And so full acceptance and full love, we're still not there yet. And I hope we can get there because, again, to me, the LGBTQ issue is a human rights issue. It's not just about some group. It's about all of us when it comes down to it. And to me, that is very, very important. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be back after this commercial break. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hi. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Sorry, there's a lot of noise in the background. Um, try to get. Um, so my question um, before I go to bed is about this book, um, written in 1960 by Maxwell Maltz called Psycho-Cybernetics, and it's about um, self-image being the key um, element in uh, self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Basically, I've, I mean, it's nothing new almost, but throughout my uh, attempts to trying to change certain behaviors that have self and um, and coming up short sometimes. Um, so I, your sound, I, if you could speak a little bit louder, it's hard to hear you. It's hold like, on, one moment. Okay. Okay, Dr. Fadi, it's better? There we go, much better, yes, thank you. Okay, great, sure. So, yes, um, I ran into this concept of self-image as being like, the, the book uh, implies that uh, setting your self-image is like the like this heat-seeking missile, how, um, and like no matter how well you try to change your uh, actions and attitude, it's not going to really change until like the self-image that was set from like childhood or whatever mm-hmm. gets to completely change. And I mean, I have heard it in passing, but um, somehow it's become a very significant point that uh, it implies that you have to like kind of self-hypnotize uh, or visualize a whole new other you to, um, to really get any other behavioral change to stick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually going to ask uh, your dad earlier today on the phone, but I figured um, since you do talk about books and stuff also, and um, mention it to you, I just literally found out about this like two days ago, so uh-huh. I've had the time to read the book, but I'm just sure. throwing it out there if you know anything about it. Sure. So you're just wondering what I think about um, psycho-cybernetics. Yeah, that's the name of the sure. book. Yeah. yeah, and I'll be honest, I haven't read the book itself. I'm familiar with some of the, the concepts. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's hard for me to say fully it's a good thing. I think it is an important concept, the idea of visualization. I've talked about it myself when I talk about goals because I think it can be very 
very, very helpful for us to visualize the goal for several reasons. There is the idea of aligning yourself with it that you're talking about. I think you said something like a heat-seeking seek, heat missile that if you then, you know, visualize it and you create it in your unconscious, then, you know, unconsciously you'll be drawn towards it or you move towards that right. goal. And I think there is something to that. I have one, actually, before I get into what I think is also good, one concern I have sometimes is people sometimes think it, that's all it takes, that if you just visualize it, it's going to be easy from there on out. Um, similar to the idea of the secret, where you just have to declare it, and if you visualize it and want it bad enough, you get it, and it sometimes eliminates the part where it takes really hard work, and there's challenges, and sometimes you're uh, going to have setbacks to almost you know getting to any goal. But nonetheless, visualization can be very important, first of all, to do get yourself to visualize the goal, but also I also see how significant it can be to get someone excited about their goal. For example, mm -hmm. visualizing, you know, themselves on stage at a graduation and, and the more detail we do, the more vivid that visualization, the greater the impact it can have, you know, who's in the audience, what, what are you going to feel? What are you even wearing? You know, you're wearing your cap and gown. What are you going to wear under that? And, and how does it feel? Are you sitting in a chair? Are you standing just more and more detail? can make us uh, get more excited because any big goal is going to involve hard work and challenges and there's going to be times where you might want to give up or not do it and we have to re-excite and re-motivate ourselves to move towards that goal. Um, yeah. So I think that that is, it can be a good thing to do that absolutely, to have that inner goal and that inner uh, change before we create the outer change oftentimes is is necessary. So that part of it I do like. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I um, I have had issues with sticking to doing these visualizations mm -hmm. about certain specific goals that you like to have because maybe, and I couldn't understand why I can't um, be more, you know, committed to, to creating these goals. And I, I keep doing... Um, well, at least I kept doing these um, self-defeating um, behaviors that kept me from reaching um, my my at least um, average good self. You know, I, mm -hmm. I really shortened myself to um, basically fall just short, and then probably because of like um, kind of like a programming from childhood of thinking that I'm not smart enough that I don't deserve it or something like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I mean, these so, things can go very deep and even it, it, maybe it's good for us to talk about what, what goals you're looking at yourself and we can talk about them a little bit. And, you know, this interchange idea is important, but sometimes the interchange is not just going to happen from visualization. It's, right. It can be working out a lot of things. You might be afraid to actually achieve your goals. You might be, yeah, you might not be sure if you deserve it. There's a lot of things that, that can be going on. So would you like to talk about one of the goals you're having a hard time getting to? Well, yeah, I mean, um, like, basically wanting more out of my life has been, you know, a challenge. And, wanting um, more out of your life? Yeah, basically, okay. like, setting, you know, certain, you know, I, I'd like to make this much money, or um, the career that I want to commit to and go after, like, it, I just kind of had a bit of um, being okay with survival in the moment of my life. Okay. And, Did you um, have a painful... Childhood was it a difficult childhood? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a big one. You know, people um, when we've had when we've been in survival mode since birth, there isn't this 
focus on what do I want, what do I desire, what do I dream about. It's just, you know, we can be in survival. And you're right, you're, it's hard to shut that off or change that perspective when you think the most important thing is just to survive. You don't focus on what? can I thrive or what else can I do? And you stay focused exactly. on that. So that can be, you know, difficult. It's It's amazing how we can get, we find a way to survive our childhood or what's the best strategy to get through it. But then even though we can be in a totally different environment and the circumstances have changed, we still have a hard time shifting to meet exactly. this new environment. Yeah. And it just feels like, you know, I'm shortchanging myself on, you know, in this lifetime that I can now have all these access to uh, new possibilities in my life. But like I'm being, you know, directed by these, you know, childhood um, yeah. programming. And so that's why I was hoping to apply <clears throat> very like technique to kind of re envision myself as a child or like growing up or kind of I, I don't know, even fake the feelings of being a yeah. you know, goal oriented, um successful spark, you know, like these mm-hmm. days. But I know I am deep down, but I I just haven't, you know, experienced it in my life because I'm let myself. You yeah. Know? You know, something I'm hearing in what you're saying that I would say in, in a way can concern me is you might be looking for a quick fix in, in that you're hoping like you, the way you said techniques and I get it. And people sometimes come to me and like, they say, you know, I have a lot of anxiety and give me some techniques. So I just stop feeling anxious and it doesn't really work. There's some things you can do. Even something like meditation can help make you long, less anxious, but over time, you know, it's like saying, uh, you know, I want to get a degree, like help me get this degree. It's like, well, you're gonna have to read books like every day for years. And then, you know, you, you get a degree over years. So the quick fix I heard in what you were saying concerns me. If it, you know, I'm, is it possible that someone comes to you and says, three, two, one, childhood good, childhood this, snap twice, and then now you wake up and you're like well, this different person? It's possible, uh, but I'm very skeptical of it. I think it almost never happens. And the changes I see in therapy take a long time. I think we have this idea of, yeah, the aha moment, you know, people sometimes tell, you know, they think you go to therapy, you're going to talk about some things. The therapist says, oh, your mother did this and this is why this. We have an aha moment and we just change for the rest of our lives. Some aha no, moments I happen, would. but they're usually not that, you know, there isn't this like light switch that everything changes most of the time. Yeah, that can happen, but it's it's more uncommon. So I hope you've been to therapy because it seems like you said your childhood was painful. And Yes, I mean, and that's the thing. I know for sure that like I've, and I'm not young anymore to think that, you know, like I can just have, I've had a lot of kids experiences and, and like understandings but that makes has made no changes mm-hmm. um but i know that for sure that it takes repetitive like meditation and, and visualization i mean that neural pathways that have fired all my life is not going to just change overnight for sure yeah. and um but i just i do want the technique because it's, it's continued too long in my life and you mm-hmm. know like i'm gonna turn around and <laughs> time is going to be gone eventually. Well, well how old, old? How old are you? Forty years old. Forty. Okay. Well, <clears throat> yeah, so you, have, you still have a lot of life ahead of you. But you know, can we talk about one of the things like you'd like? Because you said a lot of things, but and I know maybe they're related career and money and things like that. But can can you say one of the things? So you know, there's two things. Like for one is like not to sabotage myself when I'm at the brink of doing something that's beautiful uh-huh. that I've been doing in school um, with projects. I've like, literally a month or two before the project is due, I completely, like, zone out and go into, like, complete detachment and ambivalence and um, 
just and so each semester even though I've had amazing projects lined up, um, I just fall short because mm. I can't have that, you know, completed perfect work. Or well, that you know, there's that, a word you just said that perfect is a uh... not perfect, but even like for its own, like at least completed. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not even. I mean, I got to say, I did. There is some part of me that in the beginning part of the project is perfectionist, and I go into much of the research and putting a lot of time into it. But you know, I don't have that like connection with time management and goal setting, and like, and I keep bumping into this idea. And even my own best friend said that. Know, um, like my, for instance, my best friend can see herself in the career path, like as that person in the career, you know. And mm-hmm. for me, I haven't, I don't know if I allow myself or if I don't want that career, or whatever it is. Well, I, let me ask you this do you feel like you deserve to have that career? Um, that's the thing, it's, it's so murky. I don't know yeah. if it's about deserving or if it's that I don't feel like it's the right fit. So that clarity thing, too. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to have this, like, um, you know, clear vision. This is what I want to do and this is how I want to feel and the feel that I want to work in. Mm-hmm. Well, clarity would be great. Yeah, well, yeah, it's hard to know, you know, where to go if we don't know where we want to go. You know, we can't even go in the right direction if we don't know where we want to end up. And, and that could be something. Now, another thing is if someone feels like they don't deserve something, they also might not let themselves even know what they want because you don't even think you deserve it or you're afraid to go get it because, you know, that brings up a whole bunch of stuff. So it does seem like you're very much paralyzed to a degree or stuck. Um, and that's very frustrating. And I can get that. And I, like I said, I, I alluded to it before about therapy, but, you know, you sound like someone who what you're trying to do is understand yourself better. And therapy, what I always try to say, it's not about fixing problems so much as it's about self-awareness and understanding. And that's something that I think you would really benefit from really long-term therapy, just getting deep into yourself. I feel like I've, you know, I mean, I've studied psychology sort of on my own, you know, uh, I'm on my volition on the side, and I feel like I've had a lifetime of insights. Like I have plenty of insights about yeah. how and why I became this way. Um, I just don't have an insight of, like, how to... Tame it well, you know, the thing is, yeah, you know, and that I'm glad you're studying it and you're saying on the side, but to really work on these things, it takes a different type of, of work. Right. And, you know, the thing about therapy, also another part that people sometimes don't recognize is the healing part of therapy is the relationship that forms between the therapist sure. and the client. So you can't do that on your own. You know, a lot of the, the issues, almost all of the issues we're dealing with uh, as adults are things that were formed through the relationships we had when we were kids. They were formed relationally, and because of that, the way they get healed or cured, if you want to use that word, but I prefer healed, is in a relationship also. And that's why that therapeutic relationship, there's something that you can get from the therapist that you can never give to yourself. And right. a, a lifetime full of insights doesn't necessarily live, lead to a lifetime of action and, and acting on that because it's deeper deeper than that so it seems like maybe you're even a little bit afraid to go to therapy well you know was, i don't know if this is a cop out or, or what but like because i'm you know still a student at this age and i don't have much of a you know um income production which has been really another painful thing for me because i think i've reached that you know 
life cycle where I should be, you know, generating into life versus hmm. <laughs> still working on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have that kind of income to pay for a proper uh, therapist, which I've found a few times that I've been able to continue to yeah, the, yeah. The, the consistency and it, it, what you're going to need is going to be a long time. And I don't know how you're going to find a way, but I hope you do find a way to do that and yeah. recognize that, that make that a priority, that you deserve that, you you really need that to get to where you want to get to and to, to heal. And like I said, continue the reading and the studying. And sometimes people have some big changes they get from reading books and things. So I'm not, I don't want to minimize that. Of course, I'm all about that. But there is also something you get from therapy that can't be replicated. Right. So I hope Maybe you like do that. It doesn't, um, yeah, I'm more, I, I actually prefer more dynamic types like getting deeper into things too. But yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy can be good as well. But I mean, I think for you, I want you to get deeper and go for a long time. It's not like, okay, let's just fix one one problem. But CBT is a wonderful thing, so I'm not in any way downplaying that. But um, I still get the feeling, even when you say that, of the short-term part of it, which I know maybe is the financial part, but it's not going to be a, a quick fix. It's going to be a, a long-term process, but that will right. lead to long-term change and then uh, things in your life that you'll you'll be happier with. So I'd make that a priority, finding a way to get in there, keep doing your own studying and learning and reading, but don't forget that there's something that therapy can provide that you can't provide yourself. You, you know, you can't, ha there's only so far we can take, you know, go deep in, within ourselves without someone's help. So I hope you, I really hope you'll do that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for your call. Best of luck to you. Okay. All right, bye -bye. take care. Bye-bye. Take care. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to our next caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Uh, thank you. Um, so my question uh, was about my older son. Okay. He's 19, and um, he he was very um, um, and he left after that. And he, he was um, very what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry? You were breaking up. You said he was very, and then you broke up. About now. A little bit better. Go. Yeah, So sorry. You said he was He was very upset? He was upset. He, okay. uh, he started breaking, you know, uh, things in the house. Okay, your uh, phone is still, we're having, still have a hard time hearing you. Sorry. No. Okay, hopefully it's a little bit better, but go ahead. So you said he was breaking things in the house? I do. Uh, yes. He broke um, the chair and uh, the furniture, and uh, he left. Okay. And uh, after that, uh, he doesn't, like, um, call us or anything like that, but just my husband can talk to him um, a few days now and by text, and um, he's not telling us where, he, where is he, 
uh, where he's saying what he's eating, what he's doing. And, uh, what he's eating? Um, like, like what is where is he? Like he, we okay. don't don't know where um, okay. he's at night, you know. Yeah, the the um, sleeping. Like, okay, sleeping. but what what led to the fight? Um, uh, the fight was about that. Yeah, we really I can't, can't hear. He, I, I we can't hear you very well. I'm not. Are you on speakerphone? No, no. I'm not okay, on it's it must be your reception. You're, it's coming in very unclear. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm sorry about that. I I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, so I was telling him that he needs to go to uh, his college and continue his education and um, find a job, uh, possibly. Uh, if not, we are happy. Uh, yeah, we really, I really can't hear uh, what you're saying. It cuts in and out. Hello. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is, but it keeps cutting in and out to the point where it's hard to to hear what you're saying. So he, he did a work. Uh, he did a work uh, so I was um, mad at him because it's been a long time. I'm asking him to do one of, uh, um, we are asking, or is education, or is uh, job, you know, um, and um, he wants to go out with his friends every night, come back at 3 o'clock in the morning, and um, he doesn't want to do much, and me and my husband, we are tired of that situation. So, um, how the fight starts. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really having a hard time hearing you to the point where it, it might be hard to continue this conversation because I hear bits and pieces of what you're saying and then I, I, I miss pieces of it. Um, it's becoming a little bit challenging. So, I don't, I don't know. I'm guessing it's your service. Are you talking direct, directly into the phone? Because I feel like your voice cuts in and out sometimes. I'm talking my cell phone. Okay, just make sure, I mean, if you can, make sure you talk into the the, the receiver or the speaker. I can't hear yes, you. Yes, I, I do. Okay, yes. it must be the service then, because it's hard for me to get. You know, so what I'm getting is he's not working, he's not going to school, and he's yes. going out with his friends a lot. I'll, I'll yes. tell you, I'm already feeling from you and what you said, a bit a, a strong controlling nature mm-hmm. that I think is probably, even like what you said Maybe I heard you wrong. Did you say you, you he's not telling you what he's eating, or you said where he's sleeping? Yeah, he's not. But why? Why does a nineteen-year-old have to tell you what he's eating? Sorry. Why does a nineteen-year-old have to tell you what he's eating? Well, I mean, but, but because I know that he doesn't have money. He doesn't have enough money, and okay. I don't know where he's sleeping. I don't know what he's doing. Yet. Like, um, um, like. And I don't know uh, which friend is uh, giving yeah. him shelter. No, I, I can understand your concern. Now, I mean, like I'm saying, because we're also having a hard time with the communicating, maybe I'll, I'll just talk a little bit more, too, because I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing you. But like I said, the controlling part is what concerns me. And mm-hmm. when we try to control someone, it doesn't go well. And if anything, rather than pushing them in the right direction, we push them away from us. And out of pro, you know what they're doing now. Yeah, if you're saying he doesn't do anything, he doesn't go to work, he doesn't go to school. I'm concerned yeah. about him that he's not doing well because that's not going to make someone happy or feel good. They might feel pleasure or joy 
in what they do in the moment, but overall they're going to feel bad about themselves. So rather than being his, you know, manager or his boss, being his parent means being supportive of him. And he has to want to do whatever he wants to do. If you say you have to go to school, okay, well, he can show up to class, but if he doesn't want to try, he doesn't want to try anyway. And so it's not really going to get anywhere. Okay, you have to go get a job. He can lose his job or whatever it might be. We can't force someone to be what we want them to be. They have to desire to be something and, and push themselves. So I, I wouldn't... And also, you know, the rage he showed, I don't know what's going on with him. Is he depressed? Does he have bipolar or something else going on? He could be mentally ill, too. He could be dealing uh, with something. What he says, what he says, he says, I have plans for my life. I, I want to do music. Um, he's telling us that he has a connection. He knows people that they can help him to go very high in what he's doing. And uh, he told, told us that I'm working every day on, on my music and I'm on my computer. What do you think I'm doing in my room? Um, I'm doing projects and I, I'm going to get a big check of this. And uh, I'm get lots of money at the end and I'm going to help um, you and dad uh, for your like financially uh, and um, I, I was telling him that you don't need to fix your life. We are adults and we are you not you. Yeah, I'm losing you again. But so it seems like, I mean, you, we're not sure if he's what, I don't know how much he's doing what he's saying he's doing or how realistic what he's saying is. Right. Exactly. Um, we don't, I don't really know. But again, you know, try to force him or push him to do something is not is not going to work. I don't know if he's, um, if it's like a, sometimes people, I, I see in a lot of people, especially young people of this generation, there's this desire to just be famous and feel like yeah. they should be famous, not necessarily for doing much, but like they should just have it with Instagram and the way things, social media makes us feel. It's like anyone can be famous now and you don't have to really do much. Um, and people sometimes give us the idea they can make us famous. So again, I don't know what he, it is that he's talking about. But to force him into something you think you, he should do is not going to work. And I want you to realize that, that you're not going to force him into the life you think is right. You're not going to, you know, punish him into the right life. It, it's going to take a lot more than that. And like I said, I'm concerned about what's going on with him. Um, is he okay? Is he into drugs or alcohol? Other kind of risky behavior. I don't behavior. think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. But um, does he? Uh, has he had question. that? Has he had that kind of rage before? When he, you know, you said he broke things. Yes. Yes, yes he did. Okay. Yes. This is the second time. First time was he was eighteen. He left for a couple of days. Um, uh, we knew that he's in our friend's house and he was safe. And, um, you know, we were talking uh, with the parents of his friend, and um, he was safe that time. But now, um, this time, I don't know where is he. I tried to contact his uh, friend's uh, parents, but they don't answer. I left a message to see if they saw my son or he's in their house or how he's doing, and I didn't get any, you know, any phone call in, until now. But um, the thing that, uh, because that day he was so aggressive and he uh, 
you know, broke the furniture and he left. And I, I was thinking maybe he's scared to come back. So I, um, I text him yesterday and I said, um, even you, you know, you break my heart and you do things that uh, it's not good for anybody in this family. Um, you still, it's still your house. You can come back and we you. We have to be supportive to each other. This is not the solution to stay away from each other and not talking and not seeing each other because my other son is suffering too. He's missing how, his How brother. old is your other son? 12 years. 12 years old? Okay. Yeah. And um, I said, we, we miss you. We want you to come back, but um, did, what we want is your um, happiness and I, we want you to be successful and, um, you know, have um, education and and he said one time I was talking to him his, in, his, in the fight. He said, "Oh, education is uh, it's nothing. And then, um, you don't need to be educated to be successful. You know things like that." And I don't know how to make him understand that that you need to do something in life. Well, I mean, you know, if you're trying to win a war with him about the ideas, I think you're going to get in trouble. So if you try to tell him I'm going to make a PowerPoint presentation of the importance of education to convince him, that's not going to be the path I think that's going to work. You know, because even things he's saying, right. you don't have to have an education to be successful. You don't. Um, right. Also, it depends on what you mean by successful. And, you know, there's a lot more to that. But to try to force him to have the life you think is right is not going to work. Now, do I think education is good? Yes, I, I think it's good for him to get an education. But you can't force someone to do that. And to think I have to convince him that's the way, it's not going to work. I'd focus more on your relationship with him. If you focus on teaching him or being, um, you know, like a boss, like I was saying before, where you force him to do something, it's not going to work. But try to understand him more. I mean, even like listen to his music. Say, I want to understand what you're doing when it comes to your music, if it's such a big part of his life. But I'm guessing you don't maybe want to show that interest in it because you don't want to have him promote that more. But now the, the, the question is how to make him... Sorry, we can't hear. How to make him say it again? To, to bring him home, to, to tell him that he's, he's safe here and this is his house. And well, it's not about, I don't think he doesn't know he's safe there. He maybe just doesn't feel very good there or welcome there. You know, so it's not about... I don't think it's a safety issue that he left the house. Um, but clearly he's angry again. Like, I don't know if something's going on with him or if he feels like you guys don't hear him because when someone throws like a tantrum, part of what they're doing is saying, you don't hear me when I talk to you regularly. So I'm going to go to this extreme measure. So maybe he feels like you don't hear him out. You don't listen to what he has to say or take his opinion seriously. You know, he's 19. I wouldn't get so fixated on what he does every single day. Um, I would get more focus on how he's doing and how your relationship is with him because he's you know if he decides to go to school at some point he still can it's okay you know he's 19 years old but if he thinks you hate him or don't love him or don't approve of what he's doing and if he feels isolated from you guys and goes away or if he's suffering in some way but then doesn't get help those to me are bigger issues so i'd focus more on your relationship with him than on getting him to do things. Even this, how do I get him to come home? I don't have a magic formula, but again, it has to do with control of like how to make him do something. Your job as his parent is not to get him to do stuff. How do I get him to school? 
if I get him to school, I win. It's not about that. How do I make him feel good about himself? And then he, he makes, he's going to make thousands of choices the rest of his life that he has to follow through on and live with. And I'd focus on that. You're, you're not supposed to force him in any direction. That's not going to work. Again, if you get him to school, he could just drop out anyway. Then that's maybe even leaves him worse if he goes just for you. So I wouldn't focus on making him do things as much as I would making the relationship with you and him better. Do we have to stop asking back, come back, and just let him be like, or... I mean, I think you can give him, you know, like make it very clear to him, as it seems like you did, that he's more than welcome to come back anytime. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't constantly be begging and, you know, pleading with him every day. To, to come back and, and, you know, every day call him and make sure. You make it very clear that he's welcome and you want him to be back and you'd like to be in contact with him. Um, but the constant begging and pleading is probably not going to... It doesn't really work and it doesn't help the situation either. So I would just let him know he's very welcome to come back. He seems like he'll take care of himself. He's 19. He has friends, it seems, that will will take enough care of him and they'll feed him and give him a place to sleep. And just be ready that when he comes back, you have to show him that things will be different. we got to create a different relationship. I would tell him, look, something, our relationship with you is not right, and we take a lot of responsibility for that. We think we both contribute. So I'm not saying he doesn't do anything, but I'm saying if you want to approach him and get closer with him, you have to recognize and let him know that you recognize that we're doing some things not well and not working out, that are not working out, and we need to change things, and we don't want it to be this way. And so we, we apologize for what we've done that hurts you, but we want things to be better. And you have to try to create a different relationship because the one you guys have now is not working. So, you know, as okay. far as it, the question of like how to get him to come back, I don't, I don't know. I think giving him space might be good. To beg and beg might push him away even more. Um, but just be ready. Likely he will come back, um, especially because you're saying he doesn't have the means really to take care of himself. So he maybe is getting help from his friends but really that maybe will last so long and then when he comes back though be ready that you have to create a different relationship with him and tell him we want to work on that with you whether uh, you know even obviously if you can go to family therapy that would be great but if that doesn't happen at least we have to work together to make things different and it's going to take you guys acknowledging your shortcomings in this because first of all that's all you can do you can't say you change and you apologize you can just apologize and make changes yourself in the relationship and then and then go from there Mm -hmm. Okay. My husband has a, um, a little relationship with him for a few days now. Like, he's called him and he's texting him. And he said, we're going to eat, um, you know, we have, like, tomorrow we're going to have lunch together. Okay. We're going to go out and talk to each other. That's good. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad he's reaching out to him. And even you got to ask yourself, why is it that he reaches out to his dad and not me? Uh, yeah. And it could be that, you know, like I said, I felt a controlling nature in how you're talking. Maybe he feels and a, the, a judgmentalness of, con you know, this pushing, constantly push, 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 that he feels like he can't talk with him. So I'm glad he's talking to his dad. And so I hope you can talk with him and you guys be on the same page and recognize look clearly something has to change and i'm not saying it's only your fault and maybe even your son is dealing with stuff we don't even know about but i care that yeah. you guys have a good relationship so that he one can tell you what's really going on and then two you guys can get help for him and also help for the family 
but we need to focus on the relationship. Don't focus on does he go to school this semester or not, or even next semester or not, or does he have a job. Focus on how do I, your focus should be on your relationship with him, not what he's doing. Okay. Okay. Thanks Thank for the so call. Much. Wish you guys the best. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. in session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. You know, today or actually yesterday was World Mental Health Day. I know I started off the day talking about uh, National Coming Out Day. There's a lot of these different days, some of them um, more significant than others. There's things like National Donut Day. But National Coming Out Day that I started out with today is very important, but also uh, National uh, World Mental Health Day. Actually, it's not national. It's World Mental Health Day, October 10th is also a very important one in October itself is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And one of my biggest aims on this show is to reduce the stigma that we attach to mental illness and the taboos we have about talking about mental health, mental health disorders, diseases, illnesses, and seeking out therapy. To me, that is so important that we talk about these issues because the amount of suffering that occurs because of these stigmas is in some ways equal to or maybe worse than what happens just from the mental illnesses themselves. Um, the analogy I like to use is imagine if you broke your leg or let's say broke your arm, but you were embarrassed to talk about it because there was somehow this judgment about having physical pain or a physical illness. And so you broke your arm, which hurts a lot, but now you have to hide this from everyone or you feel like you have to hide it from everyone. And every day it hurts you in so many ways. You're trying to change your clothes. You're trying to just do anything and it hurts. Or you have to pretend like it's not there. So someone bumps your arm, but you can't say anything because you have to hide your pain. You have to hide this illness that you have. And imagine that that pain is worse than probably the pain you got in even just breaking your arm in the first place. If we look at mental illness, the same thing is going on. People are struggling with distressing emotions, distressing illnesses, but they feel like they have to suffer in silence because it's not okay to talk about it. It's a sign of weakness to have mental illness. It's quote unquote all in their head and they need to just snap out of it. And to seek out help in this way means they're crazy, uh, might be judged in certain ways, maybe makes them unmarriable or whatever else might be going through their mind. And so they continue to suffer in silence and they suffer. And of course, the people around them suffer as well when we have untreated illness of any kind, but especially mental illness, the people around you are going to pay the price as well. And we also know that mental illness is incredibly common. Um, one in five adults in America will experience a mental illness in a given year. So one every five, that's just in a given year. Um, and one in 25 will experience a serious mental illness. And also things like one in 100 even have schizophrenia. That's 1%. 
Um, and then the unfortunate part is that maybe around half of people, um, some statistics I came across today, only 41% of adults with a mental health condition received help. 41%. So that's less than half of people who are dealing with a mental illness or mental health issues are seeking out help. How sad is that? And again, when you don't get help for an issue, it just becomes worse and you start to hurt more and the situation can become harder to treat. And even this idea of differentiating between mental illness and medical or physical illness is itself to some level a facade in the sense that they're all interconnected and interwoven together. And we, we try to separate them and study things independently, which can have some benefits, but we also forget the part that they're all integrated together. Anything that we consider a mental illness also has physical manifestations as well. And also when you have physical illness or physical pain, that affects your mental health or your emotions also. So the interplay is very hard to actually tease apart. Is this medical? Is this mental? Is it psychological? Is it medical? I'm, I'm not sure. And sometimes we can't really even tell the difference. So it's important for us to move forward in this direction. And for me, it's so important for us to talk about this, to equate the, um, the significance we give to mental health to what we do for physical health. You know, if someone gets a physical disease, people give them so much sympathy and empathy and they feel so bad and they give them a lot of love and support. Someone's diagnosed with cancer, such a tragedy, and it really is. So I'm not saying we shouldn't give that support, but what I'm concerned about is that if someone has depression or has a serious mental illness, first of all, they rarely will share it with anyone. They feel like they should be ashamed and keep it to themselves. But if they do, rarely do they get that same outpouring of support and love. And that's what we need to change. Even in our Iranian culture, we know this is very true. We tell each other we're okay when we're not okay. We feel that we have to show a good face and show that nothing is wrong. We don't have any problems. Um, we don't need any help because that makes us look better. And we have to make sure no one knows we see a therapist if we do, because only crazy people go to therapy or that if anyone in our family even went to therapy, we don't talk about it because that looks really bad. But when it comes to physical pain, people get so much reinforcement. Oh, your, your stomach hurts. Let's, let's give you something. Oh, this hurts. Do this, do that. And we give them so much love and support. And this reinforces this idea of hold the physical or hold in the mental and emotional pain and express the physical pain. And this is actually why uh, many cultures and including Iranians, they're um, prone to something called somatization, which is the expression of emotional or mental distress through physical symptoms. So, for example, when you get anxious or something goes wrong, rather than talking about the anxiety, you hold it in, but then you get a stomach ache or a headache or back pain related to that. And this is something that most medical doctors are very familiar with because a patient comes in complaining about some kind of pain or issue, but there's no underlying organic cause. They can't find the reason for the pain or distress and that leads them to believe that it's more of a psychological issue that they're dealing with, something emotional. We can't run away from our own feelings. We can't push them down and push them away. If you push them down, they come out somehow, and they're going to affect you. And of course, the more we stigmatize 
emotions and mental illness, the more people do this. But the more we accept that everyone suffers in some way, just like everyone has some kind of physical complaint, especially as you get older, you have knee pain, back pain, uh, you've had some kind of injury or some kind of surgery that's had some effects or you're doing dealing with something. No one has perfect physical health. And similarly, no one has perfect mental health. That doesn't exist. No one has that. We all have quote unquote issues, something that is a sensitivity or insecurity or um, some kind of symptom, anxiety, sadness, depression, something is there in every single person you meet. And if you tell me you don't have any issues, that actually just tells me you're even more uh, mentally not doing okay because you're not even aware of your own issues. To not be aware of them actually is scarier than to know them. Someone who knows their own weaknesses and knows their own issues is far better equipped to deal with the world than someone who has no idea what they're actually dealing with within themselves. Just like if you didn't know you had an allergy, that's going to make you suffer a lot more than if you know, I'm allergic to this, let me stay away from it and make sure it doesn't hurt me, right? So we want to be aware of our issues. And as I talked about with a caller today, when we look at seeking therapy, and as a therapist, I know that people resist going to therapy, and we still talk about the courage it takes to go to therapy, which I think it does. One, because of the stigma that is attached to it still, which fortunately has become less, but we still have a ways to go. But also second, because the process of therapy is not easy. It involves becoming vulnerable, which is a topic of the book Daring Greatly by Brené Brown that I'm uh, reading this week, but involves being vulnerable, facing uncomfortable feelings, painful feelings, and it's not an easy process. So I do recognize, and I am um, always honored even to get to work with people in therapy who are taking that risk and taking that step of going forward uh, with that. But I see that when people come into therapy, so often they've resisted coming to therapy because of the judgments that society has told them that they've internalized or that what people might say that they actually know who find out out about it. Or very often they'll tell me, my my partner doesn't know I'm coming here, or my, no one in my family knows, or none of my friends know I see a therapist because we're still embarrassed and we still have these stigmas attached to it. So that's why when we have things like World Mental Health Day and Mental Health Awareness Month, I think it's important to bring it up again. Because like I said, to me, that's one of the biggest goals I have of this program is to talk about these issues, talk about mental health issues, but then also when people call in and they share what they're going through. Um, it's not like we're hearing about some foreign people or foreign group. We're talking about humans and we recognize, oh, I'm dealing with that too, or I know someone who's dealt with that, or it's natural or normal to experience this kind of pain after a loss, or many people have gone through what I've gone through and we can relate to each other and it humanizes one another and also humanizes pain and suffering and recognizing that it's part of the human experience. Being human involves pain. Being human involves uh, issues related to mental health, relationship issues, and everything in between. And the more we can accept that and recognize that, the more we can decrease the stigma that's attached to mental illness and the way we see mental health as somehow a weakness of the person. It's not a flaw of the individual. It's something going on deeper than that, and we have to recognize that. And also the more we'll allow people to seek help when they need it, because there are people out there that can help individuals who are suffering in this way, but we have to be willing to go and get that help and to not feel that we'll be judged in that process. So yesterday was 
uh, World Mental Health Day, uh, giving me another excuse to talk about how much we need to work on reducing the stigma attached to mental illness and seeking out mental health services. We're all suffering. Let's not hide it from one another. Let's share it with, uh, with one another and get the help we deserve. All right, we've reached our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. Um, huh? I have a question about my daughter. Uh-huh. Um, she is 12 and called you a long time ago about another issue, but this is uh, about something that she's going through right now. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know, uh, she, had a, she had an accident like in 2015 that she got burned. Hmm. And then uh, it was like a third-degree burn that she had to have a surgery. Okay. And then after that, uh, she was for, you know, a few, like, couple of months, she was scared of the, uh, you know, to get close to the stove and all that. But uh, she was okay till I recently noticed that she is scared of dogs that mm. she wasn't before. Mm-hmm. You know, she was babysitting the dogs, and she loves dogs. She still loves dogs, but uh, she it's limiting. Her fear is uh, limiting lots of her activities. Like, we, we can't go walk around the house. She doesn't go to the friend's house if they have a dog. And uh, she is going for therapy right now. Okay, good. But um, I just wanted to ask you that how else I can help her, because today, like, her therapist... Uh, she had a session today, and she uh, recommended me to take her to the pet smart that they have, like, uh, the pets hotel and grooming and all that, so mm-hmm. she can watch it. But as soon as we stepped inside, she started to overreact because she saw a couple tiny bitty dogs that they actually looked like a doll. Mm-hmm. But we had to step out, and just, you know, she was really... Uh, shivering and hmm. scared, and she said, I can't do this. Okay, and what did you say to that? Well, I just told her uh, that if you want to step out for a moment, we stay here, and then we, you think about what your therapist told you. And, you know, like she told me that she told her to take a couple deep breaths and all that, but she was just saying, no, let's get out of here, hmm. let's get out of here. Okay. So, so we just got in the car and went. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, so what we're talking about here is a, a phobia. And so there's this fear of a specific thing. In this case right now, it's dogs. Um, one thing we want to try to understand is where it might have come from. So I don't know if, if you have asked her, if she's expressed when it started or why it started. Maybe sometimes there isn't a huge, clear, traumatic incident that we can point to, but sometimes there is. So have you asked her of where this phobia might have started? Uh, you asking me that yes. when in this started? Okay. Yeah, have you I asked her? Have you ever asked it. her? Yeah. Yes. It's about like a year 
or so. Okay. But, I mean, did you ask your daughter where, what, you know, how it might have started or why she thinks it started? I didn't ask her. I just noticed that when I was asking her to let's go to the park and mm-hmm. she saw a park and she was running and then the dog was running after and I said, why do you do that? She said, because I think like they're going to attack me, invite mm. me or something is going to happen. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, there's that, there's that phobia. So, I would try to have a conversation, and these conversations can be difficult because you don't want to make her feel judged for it. Like, why are you scared in that kind of a way? Like a judgmental why, but in the understanding of what has happened. You know, so why is it that she's scared? We want to kind of get an understanding of that. But that's not necessarily most important for you. Maybe in the therapy, they'll do that. But you can show her that you have a curiosity, but also a compassionate feeling of, I'm trying to understand, not why are you scared of dogs? There's not, nothing to be afraid of. What do you mean? Because a phobia, um, by definition, is not rational, meaning that you can explain to her that dogs won't hurt her or she can know they don't hurt. Or, for example, someone can have a fear of spiders and you can say, look, this spider cannot harm you. It's not poisonous. It's nothing. But they still, I know, I just can't look at them. And they, they understand it, but it's not about the rational part. So you can't convince her of this by logic. Um, the way it is going to work, which it seems a therapist was trying, is for her to experience being close to dogs and, and, and being with them and seeing that it's not so scary to the point where she, she reduces that. However, what's very important is that she feels okay with how that process is going because anxiety and phobia is an anxiety issue. If we don't feel like we have control, it's going to make it worse. So if you throw her in there and say, I don't care, you have to go you know, play with these dogs today that could actually backfire and make her even more traumatized and afraid. She has to be willing and wanting to do it. And we have to know it's going to be comfortable, uh, uncomfortable, so you have to be ready to maybe support her, encourage her, but recognize that for her, it's like a feeling of death. It's like, that's scary. It's not just a cute little puppy, like you're saying, that looks like a doll. Maybe it does look like that to you, but to her, it represents something terrifying, something very scary. So I want you to be aware of that, that and to not make her feel like this idea of, oh, it's in your head, or even you use the word, and you know, I know it's just a word choice, but you said she overreacted. Um, and I can get that in the context of, okay, it's a cute little puppy. It seems like too strong of a reaction. But I don't want the feeling of overreaction as in she did something wrong or bad or it's her fault. We don't want to blame her for her phobia in any way. This is something she doesn't like. She doesn't feel good about it. I'm sure she wishes she, wishes she wasn't afraid of them. Um, it's not a good feeling or something she's trying to do. So it's up to you to make sure she doesn't feel that you're judging her for okay. having this phobia. And when it comes okay. to the, you know, exposure is a very, that that's the only way we get over, or the main way you get over a phobia is to see the thing you're so scared of is not that scary. You know, and it's, uh, there's a saying, and I've heard it attributed to many people, but the only way out is through. You know, if we're afraid of something, what a phobia does is it makes us want to avoid the thing. And that's how anxiety works in general. So you're afraid of a dog. And so what happens is when she sees a dog, she has this huge spike in anxiety and even like a fear response, like fight or flight response. And it's overwhelming. And what that does is makes her want to avoid the dog. And then when she avoids the dog, what she experiences is a huge sense of relief. And it feels so good. that feels so good. Nothing. I'm I'm okay. But unfortunately what that does is it makes the phobia stronger because now it's that feeling of avoiding 
feels so good, it reinforces that avoiding that thing is good and you need to keep doing that. And so the only way we get over it is to, to do the opposite, to say, you know what, I know it's scary, but we're going to show you and you're going to experience that it's actually safe. And we have to train your brain or retrain your brain essentially that this is not a scary thing, that when you're there, you're going to be okay. And that you can also handle your anxiety of it over time. And we try to do it in sometimes graduated steps. Sometimes first we'll just say, I want you to think about a dog. And even that could be scary for someone. And then maybe if they do that, the next step could be, okay, I'm going to hold a picture of a dog and see if you can handle it. And they might do relaxation techniques and things to, to keep their calm and keep their composure during that process. And then they work their way up all the way to then playing with a dog in person. And um, it, it can take some time, but I want you to be, your role is not to push her. You can support okay. her because she might, again, she's going to be uncomfortable. We, you know, I don't want you to think if she says, I don't want to do it, don't quickly say, okay, you don't have to do it, but also don't say you have to do it. You can say, okay, I know it's scary. I know you don't know, but what do you, what do you think? Do you want to maybe give it a try and I'll be here with you or something like that. So you can support her because uh, I don't want you to reinforce, okay, never see it. We're never going to see them again, but also you don't want to push her. So you do have to walk this fine line of encouraging without pushing her too hard in a way that makes her uncomfortable. Okay. So they have the dog in the center that she goes uh -huh. to, and her therapist told me that um, she wants to start it from the pet smart, and then uh, later on they can bring the dog in the room. Mm -hmm. But even when she wants to walk into the center for her session, she is asking, Mommy, do you see the dog? Mommy, do you see the mm. dog? You, you go first, and if I see yes, there is a dog, she's not going to step in the center. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you want to, you can tell her, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I would say you can do what she's saying. Walk in, you're going to be okay. You want to make, and you can just remind her also, you know, dog, that dog is okay. He's a playful dog. He's going to be okay. So she realizes she has nothing to be scared of, but what you're describing is a pretty strong phobia. This is not, um, insignificant. And we do want to help her get over this. The good news is phobias, simple phobias are one of the things that, you know, we don't usually talk about curing things, but really you can close to cure it or get past it that much. The therapy does work in this regard really well and pretty straightforward. So continue with her therapist. If the therapist, you know, I hope has the experience of working with phobias, uh, can help her through this process, but it's going to take steps and it's going to take okay. baby steps. And sometimes also we have to remember that progress isn't always linear, meaning that she might get better about it than one day she says, I can't even look at a dog or see a dog. And you're like, oh my God, we're back to square one. That can happen sometimes. So don't get so discouraged or make it too big of a deal. Just stay with okay. her where she's at. You know, she's still scared. She's still scared. If she's getting better, okay, she's getting better. And that's obviously good, but we're not going to push her that she has to be better each day because we don't know how it's going to go. So just stay with her. Make sure you don't make her feel judged in any way for it. Because that's something I, okay. I get the sense in your tone sometimes. I understand it's frustrating, but you don't want to make her feel that way. That, uh, you're still afraid of these little things. They can't do anything to you. What do you mean? That's kind of like where we usually go. But I want you to recognize that to her, it's as real as the sky is blue to you. You know, it's not something she's just imagining or... She can just snap out of it if she just wants to. You know, she's not choosing this. It's just what she's going through right now. Okay, so this, uh, so you agree that this is because of 
her um, experience with burning because she wasn't scared of the dog before. Well, I don't know. The, the why, I can't tell you. That's why I was asking, you know, if you've asked her, did she have a bad experience? Um, you know, people who have anxiety are more prone to things like phobias because it's an anxiety disorder. So maybe your daughter is an anxious person in general, and this is just a new way it's showing itself. Um, it could be related to the burn and the fear she had there. I, I don't know, though. I can't tell you the why for her phobia. And I hope in therapy they do get to look at that. And like I said, if you want, you can ask her. But I, I, as I said, be very, very careful of how you ask her that it doesn't show her that you're judging her. Like That question, why, can come off as very judgmental. Why do you... Why are you scared of dogs? But it's more of, I want to understand. I can see how scary it is for you. And that just seems horrible, how, how hard it is for you um, to see that see a dog. And I, I remember before you weren't scared. So I was just wondering, like, when did it start? And do you think you know how it started? Something like that. So be very gentle okay. in how you bring it up. But that can help you understand. But again, always with the feeling of understanding, never with the feeling of judgment or that you're doing something wrong or bad or this makes you wrong or bad or that we want you to stop doing it, or anything like that. And even be mindful of making her not feel like an inconvenience, like, oh, we want to go to the park, but you won't let us because of your your phobia, or because you're afraid now, or you're saying you're scared. Make sure she doesn't feel that, because like I said, she's not trying to do this. It's not in her control. And what we can control is, is how much we make her feel bad about it, and we don't want to do that at all. Okay, sure. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, and, Tom. Yeah, sure, and just I want you to know that this is something that that can definitely be helped. So have that mindset that it, it be patient with it, but be hopeful because, like I said, therapy can be very, very helpful for phobias. And so we, we can expect that it's going to get better, but we want to be patient with her. Okay. All, All right. right. Great. Sure. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank okay. you for calling. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right. We're getting towards the end of the show. As I started off the show today, there's two different days that I mentioned. One was World Coming Out day and the other was world mental health day or the first one was national coming out day and to me they're both very important and as i mentioned i i came out as an ally for the lgbtq community i hope you'll join me and if you want to send me any messages related to that please do on either my facebook instagram or twitter but i hope we'll all be allies in the fight for equal rights for all people um, as i mentioned at the top of the show women's rights are not about women only it's about all of us LGBTQ rights are not just about that community. It's about everyone. We all should be fighting for their rights, for equal rights, um, and to make things more fair and to end the discrimination that they are under. And it's also yesterday was World Mental Health Day. I hope we can continue in the progress of reducing the stigma attached to mental illness to recognize we all suffer. Let's not suffer in silence. We should be able to talk about what's going on in our lives with one another, and we should be able to get the help that we deserve. And lastly, the book of the week for this week is Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. I hope you'll join me in reading it. And also people have suggested books to me in the past that I've sometimes included in the books of the week. So please feel free to send me your suggestions there as well. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. Have a wonderful day.